The voice of Motown, West Virginia's leader in news, analysis, and rumors, proudly presents the Voice of Motown podcast, featuring your boys, Brandon and Tyler. Take it away, gentlemen. All right, the West Virginia Mountaineers defeat the UAB Blazers 65-59. to This is the Voice of Motown podcast. I'm Tyler Pepe. And I'm Brandon Cork, and this is a WVU sports podcast by two suffering WVU fans. All right, this was a tough, hard-fought game, and wins like this can really give West Virginia confidence. They were down nine points with eight minutes left and still found a way to win this game. They showed veteran leadership and experience by never panicking, really. Also, UAB went super cold from three in the second half. So we were a little lucky there as well. But regardless, the next time WVU is down late in a game, they can look back on situations like this for inspiration. So I can't stress enough how important wins like this can really bring a team together. Oh, yeah. This game was super fun to watch. Um, I know I was watching maybe a little bit more closely than uh, usual because you may have noticed that I I, I did write the – the post-game recap article on the Voice of Motown page, um, which was a unique challenge that I hadn't done before. And I, I really appreciate the the sports bloggers or uh, people for ESPN who put those recaps together so quickly because it is a challenge. But um, putting that aside, I mean, UAB is a super talented team. They play a really physical, aggressive style of defense that kind of bit them a little bit with uh, one of their top scorers fouling out. Um with a lot of time left in the fourth quarter, but you know, it was just so much fun to watch at the end, the way that both teams are battling, trying to get something to go. Cause you could tell that neither team wanted to lose. Um, and I think we talked about last episode, you know, this UAB team, even though they are UAB and they're not necessarily synonymous with college basketball, they're a pretty darn good team. I mean, they lost to by two points to San Francisco, who is, you know, one of the best, um, I don't know, mid-majors in the country. Um, I think they're still undefeated. They lost to South Carolina by three, who's a quality opponent. Um, you know, they, they beat St. Louis by five, and St. Louis always has a good program. So, you know, I've seen some people comment on the win against UAB as kind of like, oh, well, we should have beat them. Not necessarily. This is a quality opponent, and they should be a, a tournament team, and they could very well win the Conference USA and make some noise in the tournament. And they have some really, really talented players. I mean, Walker, even though he didn't really do much, that was the the focal point of Bob Huggins' game plan was just to wear him out with Keddy, and Keddy did a great job. Yeah, 100%. You know, even coming into this game, I knew UAB was no joke, and that this was just going to be a fun matchup, and the game did not disappoint. Credit to UAB because they were applying a tremendous amount of pressure, um, but WVU's offense looked horrible early on. They didn't seem, you know, very aggressive. The Mountaineers were putting up very low percentage shots in the first half. I didn't love the execution early. But like I said, credit to UAB. I think they caused a lot of that. They're a long, tall team that is very aggressive on defense. And that eventually led to 14 turnovers by West Virginia. Um, And for as good as UAB was on defense, West Virginia was just as good. The Mountaineers finished the game forcing 15 turnovers, matching UAB with seven steals, but the big difference maker was WVU's five blocks. 
Also, West Virginia held UAB to only two field goal buckets in the final eight minutes of the game. Um, The stat I didn't like to see, though, was West Virginia allowed 14 offensive rebounds. We knew this was going to be a problem this season, but they, they need to find a way to limit their opponents' offensive rebounds once Big 12 play starts because teams like Kansas, teams like Baylor, they will make you pay if you give them a lot of second chances. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I mean... Part of it is, I think, the way that Huggins is is building the defense to kind of make sure we're not giving up too easy looks from three and from inside. Um, Our three-point defense has been a lot better the past few weeks after kind of suffering against Marquette and um, Eastern Kentucky, who just rained threes on us for, it seemed like, the entire game. Um, Obviously, we got a nice win out of one of those, but the Marquette game, it just seemed like they couldn't miss. And, you know, you have nights like that, but um, Huggins is focusing more on that, which you know, leaves less guys in the paint sometimes, especially when you're rotating. Um, So it's just about kind of having more awareness and boxing out and getting to the ball faster than the other team. And, you know, there's a lot of times where it seems like there's a West Virginia guy right there, but he's just that hair late. Um, So you got got to get a hair faster to cut down on those numbers. But yeah, it definitely is a problem, especially with teams who are just bigger. I mean, WVU's whenever Cottrell wasn't on the floor, WVU's tallest guy is 6'8". So um, already at a dif- dis- disadvantage there. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, what's crazy about this game is Taz Sherman didn't even score until one sixteen mark in the first half. Um, you can look at this two different ways. You can say it's concerning that Taz started 0 for 4 and it took him a while to get going. Or you can say it's encouraging that Taz couldn't score and the Mountaineers were only down 22 to 25 when he finally got his first bucket. So, um, you know, that means other players stepped up and carried the offensive load while Taz was on a cold streak. No one can be hot 100% of the time, every game. It's good that his teammates found a way to score. So I think it's kind of encouraging. Yeah, and and I kind of want to talk about the first half a little bit too because I thought it was really interesting. And, um, you know, in one of the more recent articles I wrote about, you know, who is West Virginia's best um, third scoring option, because we need it. Um, one of the things I highlighted was exactly what UAB did in the first half, which was they kept a guy tight on Sean McNeil. Sean only had two points, and they doubled and pressured Taz the and denied him the entire first half. I mean, they had a guy on his face. He had five turnovers in the first half. Um, they just didn't want him getting the ball. And fortunately against UAB, um, we did have a lot of players chip in. I mean, we had nine players who scored in the first half, four different players with four points. Um, It was just incredible. And Keddy, who was the only player who didn't score in the first half, actually finished as the third leading scorer. And he had two amazing passes to dunks, to to, um, alley-oops to Kerrigan. Um, So, you know, we can talk about Keddy all game, all day, because he had such an incredible game. But, you know, that the way that everyone chipped in and scored in that first half was great. And, Another big difference in the first half, too, you mentioned the slow start, but um, I think it was around the seven-minute mark where Huggins stopped playing the traditional half-court defense, and he started moving to the pressure defense more full court, and that made a difference, too, and I think that had something to do with UAB running out of gas there at the end with all the fouling and lack of scoring as they lost their legs. I mean, it's one thing for you to, to be a team who just wants to press and be aggressive. It's another if there are teams doing it back to you and you have to be conditioned to do that for a full, you know, 
40 minutes and you don't have a coach like Huggins who has a treadmill sitting on the sideline waiting for you. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you. It's nice to see, you know, that from the other angle, you know, everyone wonders why, you know, we're horrible at free throws year in, year out. These guys have no legs. They press all game, you know, yeah. that's so tiring on your legs. So yeah, I'm with you. Um, it, it seemed like we kind of just, you know, outconditioned them for the, for the most part, because they couldn't buy a three in the second half either. Um, but you already mentioned it with Taz. He was one for five, only two points in the first half, but you already said it. The most concerning thing to me were the five turnovers in the first half. Seemed like he was just pressing too much. Um, he couldn't make anything happen on offense, but credit to him. This is why Taz is so good. He had a tremendous second half and carried the team on offense at, at times that we really needed him to. You couldn't keep a player like him down for too long. Um, you know, that's just why it's so important to get others involved early, though, because teams start to get a little lax. You know, they start giving Taz some room because he's not doing anything. Others are scoring. And then that's when he heats up. And once he's on fire, you know, that three-pointer he made with about two minutes left in the game. And, you know, that gave West Virginia a four-point lead. So not only was making a bucket there huge, but that was just one of the most incredible shots I've seen a West Virginia player make recently. He is such a talented scorer. That was a, that was a big ball shot. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Just, I mean, he, he only great players make that shot because he was contested. He had two guys around him. It was great. But, you know, to talk about how much he carried the offense in the second half, um, in the first seven minutes of the second half, he scored nine of the 11 points. Um, he checked out with about nine, nine minutes left. So about four minutes after that seven minute mark, WVU had a little bit of a skid. Um, but the thing that I really liked is even though Taz kind of carried the offense there early in the second half, that second half of the second half, um, or at least until about the five minute mark, um, when Taz subbed out it is again, another team effort. You had Keddy who put in five points, Gabe put in four, Sean put in eight, Paula cap, uh, scored one basket bucket. And it was during that time when Taz was out that WVU actually clawed back and took the lead. Um, and it was great to see the team not give up with, you know, when, when it seemed like that entire second half that no one else wanted to take a shot. And part of the reason that um, Huggins took out Taz was so he could rest because he was obviously tired. But I think another reason, um, because, you know, it's Huggins, is he probably took Taz out too because he saw that Taz was the only one who was making initiative on offense. Everyone else was just passing up things. Um, so you take out the guy who everyone's leaning on to take the shots. Um, and it forces other players to do something. And then once those players get into a rhythm, you plug Taz back in and then, you know, the team can't close the gap. So, um, I don't know if that's true or not, but it seemed to work and it was great to see Keddy and Sean and Gabe get things going there and close that lead and then take the lead without your best player on the court. Yeah, 100%. Um, just lots of things that were very encouraging about this. And, uh, of course, you can focus on the good when you get the win. That's the best part about it is, you know, we had our struggles, but just clawed back and won. Neither team could buy a three-pointer this game. UAB shot 19% from three, while West Virginia shot 15%. So both teams combined for only six total three-pointers. 
Um, each team scored 30 points in the paint a piece. So what was the difference maker? Cause those two stats kind of cancel each other out. The big difference maker on offense was free throws. And a lot of them were, you know, towards, I'd say like the last eight minutes of the game, West Virginia went 17 for 27 and nine of those came in the last two and a half minutes nine of those 17 makes while UAB only went seven for 13 when you know WVU isn't hitting their jumpers it's good to see them being aggressive and making it to the foul line also it's good to see them make those free throws at the end to really close UAB out because UAB was still making shots they weren't going away but uh you know we didn't let them hang around we just kept hitting them those free throws and Closed them out, and that's always been West Virginia's problem in the past. So that's good to see. Yeah, I had both those points too. You know, it was great to see um, Taz. He went three for four, closing out the game. Keddy went four for four. And before this game, he was shooting like 57% from the line. So it was great to see him get into a rhythm, especially after that. Um, I think it was Buffin who landed on him really hard. I thought he might have cracked a rib or something, but he came back in, and it seemed like it fixed his free throw issue. So, um, <laughs> you know, maybe we have more guys pile on to him, but. Uh, as long as he doesn't get hurt, but it was just impressive to see how, you know, Keddy, you know, be a little bit more aggressive and, you know, get to the line and, you know, close out. Well, um, I was really impressed with the way he played, especially defensively. Um, and then to your point too, with the, the free throws, 12 of WVU's final 18 points. Um, this was in the last six minutes. Of the game were from free throws. So only six points. One of those was, uh, uh, Taz Sherman three pointer. Um, just incredible. And it, it, you know, it was great to see WVU, like you said, attacking the basket whenever they're not, they're not giving you those jumpers, just get to the, get into the paint and give it a shot. I mean, um, it can't hurt. I mean, obviously you can obviously get blocked, but there's nothing wrong with trying to draw a foul. Um, and we did a great job of doing that, um, against UAB and it really played to our benefit, especially since we were making our shots. Yeah, 100%. And I hope to see that more throughout the rest of the year. You know, if if you're having a rough time with the jumpers, just start being aggressive. And um, yeah, it's good that Kedrian Johnson is really stepping up because we were just a few games ago, we were talking about how it looked like Malik Curry was maybe taking over being more of a dominant offensive player. And, uh, you know, these last few games, it's, it, it seems like Johnson is really the one stepping up and really being the consistent contributor. It's not like Curry's completely disappeared. He's still doing his part. But um, Kedrian just seems like, you know, the starting point guard right now. He seems to really have taken command of that role. Yeah, I mean, his passing today was good. Um, obviously, the best player on UAB was Walker and... Um, Keddy did such a great job on him. I know Huggins just raved about him in the postgame presser about how much he wore him out. I mean, Keddy is, we all know he's so aggressive, but today he played aggressive without fouling. And that's really the difference is if you can stay on the court for 20, 25 minutes a night against their best player, when you're the best defender on the court, you know, probably, um, you know, you can put him on one of their best players. It it really makes a difference because you can wear them down and he is, you know, has good size. He has long arms. So he's really someone who could be a huge difference maker. I mean, he's definitely someone who, if he can either find a shot or find a way to get into the lane um, or, you know, be someone who becomes more consistent as a passer, becomes more of a complete point guard, which his team needs. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. I mean, big 12 plays right around the corner. So, 
we're really going to see what this team's made of soon. But, uh, you know, this game had it all. Exciting steals, fast breaks, alley-oops. Just a fun game. Um, I wish UAB all the best this season. They had a, they have a solid coach, a good group of players. Uh, they play a fun brand of basketball. I love it when West Virginia gets a win against a quality opponent like this. It's so much more satisfying than, say, a win over, no offense to these teams, but like Radford or Elon, you know, games like this, they just feel different. They get you so pumped. And with Big 12 play coming up soon, um, you know, it's good to have like a little appetizer like UAB. Yeah. Now, I do want to kind of not be all unicorns and rainbows. I do want to cover a couple of the bad things uh, from the game. So um, Bob Huggins already touched on this, so I'm stealing his thunder. He's stealing mine. I don't know which one, but... The bat ball movement was bad. Um, we already talked about the 14 turnovers, but only six assists. I mean, that's like a 0.5 assist to a turnover ratio, which is abysmal. Um, it's, you know, at, at least be one-to-one. And, you know, that, that kind of chimes back to the fact is that we really don't have anyone who, I mean, other than Taz, who really kind of passes the ball. I mean, Gabe does it some, but it's Taz or Gabe. And if it's not one of those two, it's, someone who kind of holds the ball there for a second and doesn't do anything with it, then passes it off. Um, There definitely needs to be better ball movement, especially when we get into teams who are going to, you know, be able to lock down someone like Taz for periods of time with one guy, as opposed to two guys. Um, The the other negative I wanted to highlight too, is that once again, um, Taz and Sean, uh, Taz Sherman and Sean McNeil combined for 50% of all shots taken in this game and it accounted for 45% of the points. Um, while Keddy did have nine points um, and we did have a lot more scoring across the board. Uh, we did have more people involved. Um, it's still, I still think we really need a third guy who can step up and score 10 points a game. That's really all you need is another guy who can score 10 points a game. Yeah. Well, you already know what I'm going to say. <laughs> <laughs> Jalen, man, Jalen yeah. Bridges, he's so talented. I mean, that one play where he, it seemed like he just took over. He, he created a nice shot around the foul line and just cashed a jumper. I mean, Jalen, I don't understand why. I understand you can't do that every time you touch the ball, but why, why was it like once or twice <laughs> the entire game he went for that shot? Like, that skills, we're, we're just not seeing it. Maybe – Maybe he'll blossom in Big 12 play. Who knows? But uh, to me, that's your third score. He's he's just not doing it. Yeah. And one thing I thought was interesting, too, is I was reading some quotes from uh, Huggins. I think it was from his radio show. Um, so I'm going to read a couple of them here because it kind of relates exactly to this. But, um, you know, to quote, it says, Huggins also said it is rare for a team to be okay with just two guys taking most of the shots. But this team definitely is. He elaborated saying... Most of the guys are like, when am I going to get mine? But nobody ever does that on this roster. Um, I thought that was really interesting because that's a really good point. I mean, a lot of these players growing up probably were the best player on their high school or middle school or whatever level AAU basketball team. And they were taking all the shots. And now, you know, they've settled into a role where they're okay with being, you know, the four or five guy on the roster, just doing one thing. Um and that's great for the team. I mean, they obviously are deferring, but it's it's also would be better for the team if we could find just one more guy who's willing to say, you know, hey, I may not be Taz or Sean, but I can do some things too and take some initiative to do it. Um, 
the second thing I wanted to to highlight um, that kind of relates directly into this um, is Huggins talked about Isaiah Cottrell um, and, you know, kind of the struggles that he's having this season. So Huggins says he can be in an unbelievable weapon. He's just got to play some. He only played a few games last year before tearing his ACL. He's been told he can create his own shot and he has the freedom to shoot outside the paint. We just want him to shoot the ball. He doesn't have as much confidence right now as he did before the injury. He's still recovering. So um, I think that's interesting too, because, you know, Cottrell's someone who we talked about before as someone who could really be an interesting weapon for the offense. And, um, you know, I think it's interesting for Huggins to say, you know, it's a confidence thing and that he just doesn't feel like he's ready to be that guy yet. And I know that um, Achilles injury is hard, but, you know, it's, I, I love that Huggins is trying to, you know, get in his corner and get him to get him the confidence that he needs to shoot. And, you know, I know he took a couple shots um, in UAB and they weren't particularly good shots, but um, I'd like to see him do it more. I mean, even if he's not hitting rims sometimes, like just go out there and shoot. Like we said the same thing about Bridges. One of those, I think Bridges or, or Cottrell has to be the guy because those are the two guys who have the most versatile skill set. Um, and can just do so much and give defenses so much problems. Yeah, 100%. And that's just a shooter's mentality. I mean, there's sometimes we see McNeil go out there and airball and just, you know, like the shot's nowhere close. But, you know, like I said, he's just got that shooter mentality. If he gets the ball again, he's going to put it up. Uh, I like control shot. I mean, it looks pretty when it goes in. He's got such a high arc. And, um, you know, he's young. He's a redshirt freshman. So I kind of get that a you know, a real bad injury like that could might take a little while for, for it to not be in the back of his head. So I could see that happening. You mentioned that, you know, there's no one else who really wants their points. That that's just seems common for a Bob Huggins team. You know, he, he doesn't really recruit shooters very often. There's normally one or two on the team. That's about it. And even when we interviewed Derek Culver, I mean, we just point blank asked him, did you like it when the offense went through you? And he didn't even like try to beat around the bush. He was just like, no, you know, <laughs> honestly, I didn't, you know, and that is just a lot of Huggy Bears players. They, they are those gritty type. They like to play rough defense, get rebounds. Um, I just and, feel and like that's the thing though. Like you don't even have to have like, give me the ball. I want the ball all the time. You already have two guys who feel that way. You just have to not be afraid to shoot <laughs> or to put a move on someone, especially when you see your two shooters struggling. Like you don't even have to have a shooter's mentality. You just have to be aggressive and want to be on the court. Yeah. I mean, looking at the end of the UAB game, Gabe seemed, seemed to be that guy. I mean, he was making some decent moves with the ball. He was attacking the rim. His big issue is, is that, you know, when his shot isn't going in or they're, they know that he's going to make that move and they foul him, he can't make his free throws. So that's kind of an issue there. I appreciate the aggressiveness, but man, I don't know I, what he missed four or five free throws or something there. Um, Got to start making those because um, free throw shooting is, is extremely important. Um, and, you know, I feel like this team has less of, you know, the players that you're kind of alluding to, I think like a, I'm thinking like a Wellington Smith or a John Flowers who kind of step up when you need him to. Um, I think we have less of those and we have more Cam Turamans, um, who, you know, I, I want more John Flowers, not more John Cam Turamans. Cam was fine. Great rebounder, great defensive player, but I don't know if I've ever seen him make a basket. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, that's for sure. 
man, I completely had a brain fart and forgot what I was even going to say. <laughs> um, oh, Gabe. Yeah, Gabe, he's just a one-of-a-kind player. He really is because he's tremendous on defense, helps with the rebounding, and you nailed it. I mean, especially this season, it seems like he can sense when when he's going to absolutely pass and when he needs to get involved. It almost seems like he just has a sixth sense for it. And like I said, he's just a one-of-a-kind guy. Um, but yeah, you definitely need to make free throws. But even when he's getting to the line and only making maybe one of them, getting a key player, a foul on the other team, you know, I, I just, I don't know. It, it's fun to watch him play. He's, oh, yeah. he's, he's the prototypical West Virginia fan, Bob Huggins player. I love it. I love him too. I mean, I, I like the way, I mean... I like the way that he moves with the ball too. I mean, he actually isn't a terrible ball handler for a big guy. Um, and he passes pretty well. Um, he always has. Um, and I like some of the, you know, Euro steps and moves that he's been making towards the rim. I mean, it really, you know, his agility is a big difference maker there. And it seems like he's using that to his advantage. I mean, even if he could get up to like a 60% free throw shooter, I know that's like, I don't know, like an 80% increase over what he's at now. Um, (laughs) but, uh, if he could get, even get up to that, I mean, that's fine. It's just, you know, being a 40 or 30% free throw shooter, it, it hurts. Um, yeah. I think as a team, we're 60%, aren't we? Yeah. We're not very good. Yeah. That's, that's rough, man. I actually read, I haven't looked at it to validate it, but I actually read that I think the starters made, I forget the number exactly, 17 of 19 of the free throws, something like that. And it was the the bench players who were missing the free throws. Um, again, I'd have to kind of look into that to make sure it's accurate, but that seems right. I mean, Keddy made most of his free throws. Taz made most of his. Sean made his. Um, you know, they may may have missed three together. Um, but it's that you know that bench group, which is you know we rotate three big guys off the bench. So when your first three subs off the bench are big guys, that percentage is going to go down, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. All right. You ready to get into Youngstown State? Let's do it. All right. The West Virginia Mountaineers take on the Youngstown State Penguins in their last non-conference home game of the season because they are going to play more non-conference games down the road, but this will be the last one at home. So Youngstown State is 7-3 and three so far this season. And they are riding a five-game winning streak when they come to Morgantown. However, they are yet to play a team who currently has a winning record this season, unless you want to count the D3 school they beat. And even that school is only five and four. Um, but, you know, their, their opponents so far this year are a combined 40 and 69. So it's safe to say that Youngstown State hasn't exactly faced <laughs> an opponent like West Virginia yet this year. What are your thoughts? Yeah, their schedule is not good at all. I mean, their best team that they played is Penn State. That was the first game of the year, and they lost by 16. Um, Penn State's kind of like a borderline solid school. I think they are um, in the RPI somewhere in like the 60s or 70s, which isn't a terrible school, but it's not really a tournament team either. Um, So that kind of just shows you when that's the best team you've played. Just kind of goes to show you that 7-3 is a little deceiving. Um, they're not a team that's very good defensively. You know, I was looking at their rankings, and I think they're like 230 or 240 or something like that, maybe 260 in defensive efficiency. Um, so they're a team who, 
you know, allows te- people to get good shots and make them. So um, it's going to be interesting to see. I'm hoping, you know, the past few games, WVU has started off slow. I'm hoping this is a game where we can get back in rhythm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. Yeah. I looked up Penn state's record earlier. They were like six and six or six and five. They're right around 500. And I agree. That looked like the best team they played. So, um, you know, good for Youngstown state. It's good that they have this good record. I'm sure they're not some powerhouse program, but you know, that can be a little deceiving if you're just looking at that matchup on paper. So they have three guys who average 10 or more points per game. Um, and another who averages nine, they have another guy with 10, but he's done for the year. So, um, they do get point contributions up and down their lineup. Their big disadvantage will be size. They play a guard heavy lineup and that might hurt them against a team like WVU who is who, I mean, we have very athletic big men, so, uh, it won't be easy for them if they come around the bucket, if they just try to use speed, I I think even our bigs will, uh, be able to keep up with them and hopefully deny them a lot when they're inside. Yeah. The one thing I thought was interesting about them too, is that for being a team that is, they go five eleven, six two, six four, six five, six eight in their starting five, um, which is kind of similar to WVU, except, you know, we swap a five eleven for a six four um, is that despite being kind of a guard heavy team, they're a below average three point shooting team. They only shoot about 33 and a half percent as a team, um, which isn't very good. I mean, they allow teams to shoot as a team, higher three point shooter, three, three point percentage than they shoot as a team. So um, defensively, they allow teams to score 30, 36% of their teams, which isn't very good for a team to allow. So um, kind of interesting. And, you know, maybe it's just because that's all the size they have on the roster, but usually when you see teams go smaller, it's because they want to shoot the ball more. Um, and it doesn't seem to be the case with Youngstown State. Yeah, and um, their defense, they they play this style of defense where it forces their opponents to shoot a lot of outside jumpers. Um, they like to take away the middle of the court. So we'll see if that affects the Mountaineers. I don't think that would hurt us too much just because we do have guys who can make corner shots. Um, but, you know, also, I, I'm not sure I see a guy on their roster who can really slow Taz down like UAB was able to and um you know you know they're a team that likes to score a lot of points I I just don't think they'll be able to slow us down yeah definitely I mean I, I think their best defensive player is Dwayne Cohill he's a six foot two guard so he's already a couple inches shorter than Taz um he played for Dayton last year he's more of a defensive guard um he is one of their top three scorers I think he's actually their third leading scorer but he is someone who, you know, defensively, according to, to defensive block box plus minus, he is their top defender. Um, but again, against the competitions they faced, it's not necessarily saying much. Um, he does lead the team in assists, but, you know, just he is an OK three point shooter at 35 percent of the time. But um, he is a guy who prefers to shoot at the rim. He shoots 49 percent of his shots at the rim. Um, he shoots 45% at the rim when he gets there. And, you know, WVU does a pretty good job of taking those type of guys away. And like I said before, where the Youngstown State isn't really a great three-point shooting team, um, and if they want to score inside, WVU does a really good job of trying to take those guys away. That's kind of Bob Huggins. That's one thing that will get you off the uh, pulled off the court real quick with Huggins is if you get beat off the dribble and allow someone to give up a layup. We saw that 
time and time again last year with some of the players we had on the court who just seemed like they couldn't stay in front of a guy to save their life. So, um, you know, players like that, Cohill, don't don't really scare me too much. Um, someone who does kind of worry me a little bit more, um, but still not much, is Tevin Ollison. He is there. Um, he's more of a combo guard. Um, he is a he is a guy who likes to shoot a lot from three. Um, 47% of his shots come from three-point range. But despite him liking to take the three, he's not really a good three-point shooter. He's only making 31% of his threes. So unless he gets hot against WVU, which I'm not ruling anything out, um, he may just be putting up a whole bunch of bricks. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, you nailed it. The Penguins, they're undefeated, 7-0. and when they put up 70 or more points. And I think they even had like three 80 point games, if I remember correctly, but uh, I gotta be honest. I don't see that happening against West Virginia's stingy defense. I see a lot of turnovers, a lot of tough shots being forced up by Youngstown state since they like to take those outside shots. Um, You know, and with their size, I don't see them nabbing down a lot of offensive rebounds. Like, you know, a team like UAB can do to us. So, um, you know, obviously you never want to, you know, act like you got a win before you got it because that's how you get upset. But I, I, I just can't find any real positives when you match Youngstown State up against us. Yeah. And then the, the last player I haven't talked about yet is Michael Akuchi. Um, he is their best player, at least on paper. Um, he is their big tallest player. He's six foot eight um, and he plays almost exclusively. Um, inside the perimeter he, he he will shoot threes occasionally but he is not a very good three-point shooter um you know he, he scores a lot close to the rim he is a good free throw shooter i think he's shooting over 80 percent, which is pretty good for a big guy um so you know this is going to be a game where you know paula cap and kerrigan and um gabe really need to kind of you know let him come to them get gabe in there to take some charges um because you don't want to give up free points and you know he is their best player um he also is their leading rebounder but he only averages seven rebounds a game so for wvu who i don't think we have anyone who averages anywhere close to seven rebounds a game but you know against someone who's only six eight who only averages seven rebounds a game as is um you know this is a good game to pad your stats a little bit get those rebound totals up so um i feel like even though he is very comfortable around the rim um you can really take advantage of you know, the added strength and size that our guys have and probably athleticism and, you know, win the rebounding, win the rebounding battle, cut down on those offensive rebounds that you allow and um, make this an easy game that WVU fans don't have to stress out about. Yeah. Yeah. Akuchi is a very good player. I, I was even just reading, he just broke the record a couple games ago for having the most games played at Youngstown state. Wow. So, yeah. Good for him. He's had a nice career and he does have good, season averages um but yeah like you were saying like we mentioned earlier i i just think our big guys are very athletic great shot blockers too and so i mean i think akuchi will get his he'll get some points he'll get some rebounds but i really don't see him just you know putting up dominant stats that can really allow the penguins to hang around um he'll have some nice plays but i think for the most part our our bigs are are gonna you know slow him down a lot i mean honestly that's what our bigs are good at playing tough defense so um you know this is their time to shine they don't put up a lot of points so when we play a guy who's got a good big guy 
Time to step up and do your job. Oh, yeah. And the one thing, too, I, I just thought of this is that since we were talking about Cottrell earlier, I would like to see him you know, use this as a, or Huggins use, use this as a game to get him um, more offensive touch to, touches because Akuchi is not a very good defensive player. He actually has a negative defensive box plus minus score in six of the nine games that they've played. And we, we've seen the teams that they've played so far this season. Um, if he's a negative defensively against those teams, this might be a game where you get um, Cottrell's confidence up, you know, feed him the ball in the low post, get him some, you know, jumpers around the free throw line, just get him shots. Um, and if they go in, you can build off that in the next couple games before you have to face Texas. Yeah, 100%. That's a good call because, you know, if even your coach is calling out your confidence in press conferences, you know, take advantage of opportunities when they arise to to really build the kid up. Um, you know, I saw Youngstown State is coached by one of Bob Huggins' former assistants, Jared Calhoun. Some people might remember him. He um, he helped out Coach Huggs at WVU in, I forget the exact years, but it was the late 2000s. Um, and he also helped them coach at Cincinnati, I believe, in the early 2000s. So Coach Calhoun has done a nice job leading the Penguins to – multiple winning seasons there so it's awesome seeing all these former players and assistants coming back to the coliseum i'm all for it and i know coach huggins said he'll he'll always say yes if these guys call him up and want to come and play so it's been really cool to see and it adds a little bit to these early non-conference games it, it just makes them a little more exciting when you're playing teams that you're expected to defeat it's nice to see that at least you know some former players, former assistants are coming back. It's good to see familiar faces. Yeah, and even uh, UAB, um, he wasn't a coach at WVU, but he was a coach with uh, uh, Kennedy, was coaching with Huggins at Cincinnati, I believe. So, yep. um, you know, I never really thought too much of Huggins' coaching tree, but he does have some limbs out there. He does, yeah, for sure. And, you know, say what you want, but it doesn't seem like he has, you know, I know it's a bad time to say this with all the Oscar news coming out, but it doesn't seem like, you know, he has a bad relationship, whether it's a former player or a former guy who's coached under him, you know, it always just seems like they had, he, he forms very, very good relationships. It just speaks highly of him that not only is he a good coach, but you know, if that many people have good things to say about you, you must be a pretty darn good person as well. Yeah. And, you know, to talk about the Oscar situation real quick, too, because I don't think either of us have said anything about it on social media or on here. Um, you know, Oscar came back and retracted all of that, but it just kind of confirms why I think a lot of people, at least people who follow WVU basketball, kind of already suspected is that um, Oscar kind of has a group of people around him or kind of guiding him in the way that um, may not necessarily be what's best for him. I mean, obviously, Oscar caught a little bit of feedback um, or backlash, I should say, due to that article. I think the writer caught more because the the writer really didn't do his due diligence in the making sure he was representing accurate information, which is a big no-no. But, um, you know, just coming out as a player, I mean, I know we've talked to a couple players during our time here doing the podcast, not necessarily, you know, on the podcast, but, you know, behind the scenes. And, you know, they're, they're all really sensitive about sharing different things that could get them in trouble or a former coach in trouble or, just make anyone look bad. Um, and for Oscar to kind of like follow some of these rumors that the people around him are spreading around him to push them, push him in the direction um, that is best for them, not necessarily for Oscar it is a real problem. And, you know, I think it's something that 
happens somewhat for some college athletes, but it's really prevalent. It seems like with some of these international players, players who come over from Africa. I mean, we saw it a little bit with Kanate with his brother. Um, and I know there's a player in Kentucky. Um, I can't think of his name, but um, something similar is allegedly kind of going on there too. Um, and it's just kind of a shame that, you know, these players are being taken advantage of because this isn't their home country. They don't necessarily speak the language. They're far from home. They don't have their parents over here. They're just trying to make a living um, playing a sport that they love and that they're kind of built to do. Um, and you always find these greedy people who figure out a way to exploit them. It's just a shame. I mean, Oscar just seems like he's such a good kid, but he's also kind of oblivious to what's actually going around around him. And he has the wrong people in his ear because I, I think he could be a really solid, you know, have a really solid career somewhere, whether it's in the NBA or overseas or something like that. But having the wrong people around you, you know, may not stop you from getting there. But if the goal is to kind of be successful for yourself and to provide for your family, it's going to make it a lot harder when those people are in your pocketbooks. Yeah, 100 percent. And, you know, coaches like, you know, Bob Huggins, I I feel like he always has his players best interests at heart. Like if he feels like you're ready for the NBA and can go make money, I don't think Coach Huggins would ever stop a kid or, or give him bad advice. And so maybe that's where the disconnect happened with Oscar and Coach Huggs. I'm not sure. But yeah, that interview, obviously the reporter didn't do a great job. And I'm wondering if there was like, you know, a little bit of language, um, you know, just not being communicated correctly. I don't know. It was a bad look all around. Um, I I wish it it wouldn't have got leaked because I don't want Oscar to look bad either. I mean, he's still a young kid. And yeah, uh, unfortunately, and especially now that players can get paid, uh, you're just going to have scumbags in their ear all the time. I mean, this is this has been around for decades and it's only going to get worse now um, that, you know, money can be openly involved. But um, yeah, I don't know. It's it's just an unfortunate situation because he's so talented. And honestly, when he left, you know, initially a lot of Mountaineer fans were a little angry, but um, I, th- I think it was best for everyone involved. It's, it seemed like WVU just played better with, um, you know, only one dominant big guy last year. Oscar's having a fantastic year this year. So, um you know, sometimes it's okay. Sometimes people just aren't right fits. And, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know. Obviously I was a little disappointed when I saw, you know, articles coming out bashing hugs. Cause like we were just saying, it just, you know, he told Taz to come back this year cause he didn't think he was ready for the NBA. I, I don't think there's anyone who thinks he, he did that for selfish reasons. And uh, he did that because he knew that would be in Taz's best interest and possibly make an NBA roster. And, and look at what happened. I mean, the kid's having an outstanding year and he might get some draft interest now if he can keep up his production. So um, yeah, just an unfortunate situation. And uh, I just hope WVU fans handle it well. Yeah. We all know some won't. Um, I love our fans, but sometimes it's, uh, they're frustrating. That's why I'm, I'm pretty quiet on social media a lot of the times because I'm just, I don't really have anything nice to say to a lot of the comments. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I don't, like, I, I was irritated with Oscar at, at first, personally, I'll be honest, but 
you know, the more I think about it, it's it's not really him. It's the people around him, um, the people who are driving him to to do whatever he did and the people who are obviously telling him lies about what Huggins said um, to get him out of West Virginia, because that's kind of like what the article was, you know, talking about is how he was crying at WVU. He wasn't happy there. And, you know, it sounded like, you know, in the context of where all those things reading in between the lines is that, you know, it was because the relationship maybe felt like he didn't have with Uggs. Um, and that's such a shame for, for people to go behind the back um, and, and kind of play someone's emotions like that. I mean, it's just, it's terrible. And, um, you know, obviously one day, hopefully, you know, Oscar kind of gets to a level where he can be a little bit more autonomous. Um, I know it's hard being in a new country with a whole bunch of strange people, but um, yeah, I mean, Huggins has been great and I'm a hundred percent confident that he didn't do anything or try to do anything to, to bad mouth Oscar. I mean, like you said, he would never do anything like that. He's like a father. It seems like to a lot of these kids. Um, and, you know, there'll be times where, you know, like Dalton Pepper is one guy who I think of a lot, who was a, uh, you know, he played a pretty important role on WVU. Um, and he was from Philadelphia. And then I think his dad got cancer or something and Huggins let him transfer and just said, you know, go be with your dad so you can play closer to home. And he went to temple. Um, obviously we could have used Dalton cause he was a pretty solid player for us. He had some big games, but you know, um, your family's bigger than, than the game of basketball. So, um, you know, I really appreciate Huggins, even though he can seem like a, a hard ass sometimes. I, I really do think he cares for the kids a lot. Yeah, yeah, I do too. He's just old school. And I know that sounds like, you know, an easy cop out, but he is. He's just old school. I, I feel like behind the scenes, he's, uh, you know, he's a lot more caring and having private conversations with these kids. Don't get me wrong. I'm sure he's coming into the locker room screaming and being a maniac sometimes, but, uh, you know they all know he cares about them. And if you talk to any former player, they'll, you know, that's proof right there. Mm -hmm. So that's all I got. You got anything else? No, that's it. All right, guys, as always, thanks for listening. We recorded two podcasts today. We also did a preview of the bowl game and talked about recruiting and some other stuff involving football. So please check that podcast out as well. Um, as always, follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you enjoy getting your podcasts. Follow us on social media. Just look for the Voice of Motown podcast and drop us some comments. Let us know what you like about the podcast. Let us know what you didn't like about the podcast. Anything at all, just get a hold of us. Um, please check out Brandon's articles on the Voice of Motown. He he writes articles every week. He does a lot of research and does a very nice job. So please read them. And give us feedback on that as well. Um, and that's pretty much it for me. You got anything else to add? Uh, no, not really. I mean, you know, for, you know, my articles, if you're someone who likes numbers, likes a little bit more long in depth read um, with, like Tyler said, a lot of research, check them out. Um, I spend a lot of time on them, making sure that um, all the information I'm including is right and try to educate, um, you know, the fans too to, to some new kind of concepts like uh, some more advanced metrics and things like that um kind of how the ncaa uh bracket tournament works my most recent article talks about the the quadrant wins which is uh pretty heavily involved in how um bracket seeds are chosen nowadays so um really like you know sharing that information and you know feel, like tyler said feel free to message us um let us know what you think what you want to hear and uh what you like 
Yeah, 100%. And again, make sure to check out both podcasts this week. So um, thanks, guys. We appreciate it for the Voice of Motown podcast. We will see you next time. Thanks, everyone.